and young welcome to i've made a huge mistake an arrested development podcast i am your host darren and with me today i am joined by uh two people sharing a surname um which uh is coincidentally the same as on on the previous episode except on the previous episode they were hermanos uh whereas this time um they are married you are married i believe noel and geo that's correct see yeah so i have uh no Ramiro's and Gio Ramirez. Anya. Anya. <laughs> um, and Noel hosts the. Uh, I'm going to try and make sure I get this correct. Mexi Bro Movie Show podcast. That's correct. I thought it's a bit of a mouthful. I'm going to be honest. I didn't want to. I didn't want to mumble it up. Um, and today we are covering episode eight of season two, uh, which is Queen for a Day. Uh, it was first broadcast on the 23rd of January 2005. Um, it was written by Brad Copeland, who um, I've discussed uh, on the previous episodes he's written. He has one more episode left to write, which is uh, Sword of Destiny. Uh, and then he left Arrested Development to go on to have an illustrious career writing the films Wild Hogs and Yogi Bear 3D. Um, so oh. I don't know what happened wow. to, to Brad Copeland's life. That sounds like a star that was ready to just shine and, and kind of burned out somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the episode, interestingly enough, is directed by Andrew Fleming. Um, now, I know Andrew Fleming because uh, he directed uh, Threesome and The Craft and Dick. Um, and later on, he would direct Hamlet 2 after he had directed uh, this episode of Rest Development. In more recent years, he has been quite a prominent TV director. He directed an episode of New Girl. He did a few episodes of the Michael J. Fox show, the quickly cancelled NBC sitcom. Um, he did the pilot for Difficult People, um, so if you like that. Um, he did a couple of episodes of Red Oaks, uh, and uh, he did a couple of episodes of uh, Lady Dynamite and the TV show Younger. Um, huh. So he's, he's, he's had quite a, a... Certainly in the last kind of like three or four years, he's had, a, he's had quite a good TV directing career. Uh, apparently he has a film coming out next year, um, called Ideal Home, um, which I don't, I haven't heard anything about, uh, so I can't really tell you. That's that a new one on me it. too. Yeah, um, it has Paul Rudd in, who obviously was in Hamlet too, I think, or am I confusing him with Steve Coogan? Now Steve Coogan is also in um, is also in Ideal Home. That's why I'm confusing the two. Um, so I have no idea what that film is about, but as it has Paul Rudd and Steve Coogan in, I think I'll probably end up seeing it. Um, so I don't know if either of you were familiar with Andrew Fleming's um, catalog. Um, just the the Hamlet too is hilarious. Um, I always tease my family about buying them the what is it the the mumus daishiki things that he wears flowing loosely when he's in class. <laughs> um, I think I saw the the witchcraft movie. Which one is that? The uh... The craft. Um, the craft, yes. Uh, yeah. I think it inspired many a girl in my high school to go like crazy with uh, the eyeliner and stuff. So, <laughs> it's. I mean, it's. A, it's not very usual that Arrested Development gets established directors in. They have had a few directors like the Russo brothers and Paul Feig, who later on would go on to do bigger things. Um, but it's rare that they actually have someone come in who kind of has their own. Uh, career um so i think it's kind of interesting to see uh what andrew fleming does uh, with this particular episode i think the main kind of story that comes up in this episode is the stock being unfrozen um and er all the kind of um <laughs> the mishaps that kind of come from uh that particular event um but before we get into the episode i just wanted to ask both of you um, when did you first watch Arrested Development? Did you watch it when it was on Fox? Did you catch it on DVD later on? Um, did you end up watching it on Netflix? Um, so I don't know who wants to start first. I I'll say Geo start first. Let's go alphabetically. Well, I definitely um, started a little late in the game um, via DVD and then caught up very quickly because of how hilarious the show is. I just binge-watched before binge-watching was cool. Caught up enough to actually begin watching it on Fox, and so that was really nice and 
got my family into my friends and I would have watch parties to just kind of sit around and watch Arrested D have some 40s and <laughs> <laughs> that's what we would do so um, very very fun times well I, I actually watched I, I my my co-host from from my podcast actually was telling me about the show we were working at, at the same time he had told me about it probably for the first two seasons and I uh, I I was laughing at the jokes and stuff, but it it didn't seem like it would be a show that would resonate for me. And then like in the in the final season, uh, I finally caught it and I got like three episodes in. And and this I guess was like before they had released everything to where you could go back and watch it. Hulu wasn't a thing certainly, so uh, yeah. I just kind of had to wait. And then I finally got to catch up because of the sporadic reruns. You know, if you if you don't really get to see the show in sequence, it it can really mess with your head. So. Uh, it wasn't until a few years later that I actually got to to see the whole series and and get to enjoy it for all it was worth. So, okay, well, th- let's get into the episode then, because um, I feel like this is a, a really good episode. Uh, it's worth noting that we have four very um, big guest stars with Ed Begley Jr. and Jeff Garland, Henry Winkler, and Liza Minnelli. Um, so it's you know we've got a lot of um, a lot of kind of star power in this particular episode. Um, but we start with the the kind of um, George Michael uh, maybe storyline, um, which hasn't been as prominent since Anne has been around this season. Um, but it kind of comes up here when George Michael comes across a, a box of love letters. Uh, one is titled "If You Weren't My Cousin," <laughs> um, um, and I love the kind of illustration uh, that he's drawn of um, of maybe and and kind of. Um, it's oh, it's just it's it's just really really funny, um, and then this is where Michael comes in and, um, you know, offers to give him a lift, and I love how Michael Sarah kind of leans over the letters to kind of hide them, um, <laughs> although Michael has been so oblivious to everything that's been going on with George Michael and maybe that I don't think he would even really notice even if he did see the letters, um, so I, I think George Michael really didn't need to be that worried. Uh, but, you know, this is where we find out that George Michael is embarrassed to be seen in the stair car. Um, and I love, as as Michael is saying this, George Michael says... It's not a car. <laughs> um, it's not a car. It's not a car. I think if, if anybody's ever had a... Uh, I went to a... I, was, I, was, I went to a different school than the one that it was for um, my district at home. And, and my dad... And it wasn't necessarily a rich kid school, but it was definitely more affluent than what I was used to. And my dad drove like this really early model vehicle. And uh, I, I kind of got that same sense that he was, you know, accepting of, of what what the scenario was for him. But at the same time, you're just kind of lamenting every day that you have to show up in this thing that is uh, an eyesore in, in, you know, probably to everybody else that you think. And it's probably more in your head than anything. Um, but, it, you know, I could see that. You know, I could relate to that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and this is also yeah. when they introduced the first um, kind of joke about the banner. Well, they're still mad about the homecoming banner. And then later there's the car dealership banner because of the stairs and how big and, you know, bulky the, this car is, or this vehicle is. Manages to rip down things like uh, unexpectedly and inconveniently for everybody else. So it's kind of a, a, a double hit, you know, as far as how it how other people might see it as this monstrosity that he has to arrive in everywhere he goes yeah and this will of course be the start of the stocks you know the stock has been unfrozen and so michael is looking to replace the the um the stair car with uh, a new car that he he, he won't think that uh, george michael will be embarrassed about um and of course once we get to the car dealership michael trying to find a car that won't embarrass george michael leads him to end up kind of getting him going through a number of different cars until he arrives at a um you know a slightly more extravagant car than he he really should have i gotta make a point that that uh that salesman was the most uncar salesman salesman that i've ever seen <laughs> he was amazing <laughs> i would have loved a salesman like that anytime i bought a car but they are they are uh, that was so uncharacteristic i i thought it was actually kind of cool i thought it was kind of charming you know yeah um, and at the same time, we find out that maybe who in the previous episode had accidentally become a movie studio executive, um, you know, she um, she's had a stack of scripts 
and she sees Mort Myers and um, he asks um, if she got the scripts and he says, because you look well rested. And of course, Mary says, maybe says, uh, marry me, which will become her kind of marry uh, her kind of deflection that she uses all the time uh, to the point where someone kind of takes it seriously. And then she realizes she has to change that particular deflection. And I love the the kind of relationship between these two characters. I don't know why maybe he keeps going to the studio like after she got someone to do the book report in the previous episode, she could have just stopped going, but she somehow <laughs> seems to enjoy being at the studio rather than being at school. Um, and I, I love the kind of back and forth between her and Jeff Garlin. When, when he says, do you want to have a drink? And maybe says, yeah, why don't we ask your wife to come with us? And he's like, okay, then see you tomorrow. <laughs> right. I, I just thought that was pretty I awesome. Actually. I, I like when she's, uh, she kind of as even as a young girl can kind of peg the, the potential sleaziness that's there and is able to I don't, take control of the situation. I mean, that's pretty amazing. Like, I think uh, uh, that was that was something that I would probably want my daughter to watch a few times. You know, <laughs> yeah, she seems to immediately know his weak spot, and whenever he tries anything, she like kind of pushes on it straight away. And this is something that we'll see in um, in future episodes too. Um, and we find out that Buster is on furlough from the army, and he says everyone's out dancing with their girl. Um, to which mom, to which uh, Michael says, "Mom doesn't want to go dancing." <laughs> uh, so when, <laughs> when Buster says their girl, Michael knows who uh, Buster's girl is. I love Michael's kind of prodding here, where he says, "Maybe it's time you got out there, started meeting people. You know, meeting women, meeting women who didn't give birth to you." <laughs> <laughs> which I just, I just, I just love. Um, and then obviously Tobias kind of chimes in saying that his schedule is as open as his relationship with his wife. Um, and he, I love the, the Tobias kind of, he, he makes the suggestion, why don't we pair up? And you see the look on Buster's face when he misinterprets that line and Tobias immediately corrects it with, and hit the town together. Um, Right. <laughs> and he and even it, says, I'll take a chubby. Yes, <laughs> this is where Tobias' <laughs> unfortunate phrasing comes into play, where he says, Even if it means me taking a chubby, I will <laughs> suck it up. <laughs> I, I, I love how um, it's very unusual that we see Tobias and um, Buster like in a storyline together. I think the last time they were in a storyline of any note was when um, Tobias was the security guard. And and but even before that, I can't really think of any significant storylines that they sh they shared in season one. It's it's just kind of unusual to see them together. Um, so I kind of understand why Buster would not immediately think of Tobias as his wingman. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and I yeah. love how I love how once Michael hears the the um, the taking a chubby line, he goes, "Well, that's enough family stuff for today." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we, I think we all have that one person in our family that will say the most awkward thing. Uh, you just kind of have to roll with it sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What I, I really liked um, was that, you know, Buster kind of like has a, he kind of, in a sense, begins to assert himself, you know, wanting to be out there and, and maybe in that little goofy way that, you know, he wants to try and, and see somebody. He's questioning that there might be something else that he can do. Uh, and he seems to become empowered whenever he feels like he has somebody to go with him. So uh, that was kind of fun. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, we get to see Job, who in the previous episode, he was hired by Sitwell Enterprises. Uh, this was that was the introduction of um, Stan Sitwell. So we get to see him here again. In the previous episode, Job actually rattled through a lot of ideas very quickly, including wireless crappability. Um, you know, that kind of explains itself. Um, but here he seems to be drilling down on this one concept and we start out with him saying 52% of the country is single. That's a market that's been dominated by apartment rentals. Let's take some of that market. I call it single city. Um, and then, of course, the narrator tells us his ideas fail to evolve. It's like, hey, you want to go down to the whirlpool? Yeah, I don't have a husband. I call it swing city. Uh, which stands it well asks if they can get into some new areas. And then Job kind of fine-tunes it to the point where he says... How do we filter out the teases? We don't let them in. This goes for the guys, too, because sometimes the guys are tapped out. But check your lease, man, because you're living in f*** city. 
That's right. <laughs> I just, he I immediately just... is fired. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just love, I just love how quickly it escalates from Job kind of proposing a moderately good idea in terms of you know building homes, in that maybe there should be a way to kind of build more homes for single people, um, and then ends up just turning it into this kind of torrid idea. Um, that everyone is basically going to be having sex in this particular um, kind of situation, and I love how Job doesn't realize how inner, it, like kind of inappropriate the escalation is. It's really funny to me, but I think Job kind of represents like the the at least here in the states, my perspective, of course. I think that he he kind of interprets what was, what was going to be in the years to come, how we were just going to abandon pretty much every kind of sense of. Uh, I don't, I don't know the 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 moral direction that had been uh kind of been through the 80s and and somewhat in the 90s and and he he it seems like a joke you know from the time that that he delivers his stuff but you go now and everybody's you know everything from like the the Tinder apps and things like that it's like it's exactly what he was describing it's like this world where everybody's just like doing what they want and and I I thought it was hilarious and it makes that joke meant more to me now than it did you know back then so yeah, I think it is interesting to just kind of see how things have progressed um, and how really you wouldn't even need to put it on the lease, quite frankly. Um. <laughs> Sitwell's, uh, you know, punctuality of just the whole you're fired in his face right after was perfect because Job is so enthusiastic about his ideas <laughs> and he's like immediately just brilliantly shut down. Uh, nope, you're fired. And of course, Job returns to the... Um, the Bluth Company, uh, having stolen the dress eyebrows of Stan Sitwell, and um, <laughs> which I just kind of love how that's how petty is going to be, and uh, I love how Michael says he's not going to be happy about that, and Job says especially when he goes to the opera with two mustaches on his forehead. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, that joke was a hit. I like. I mean, I like the idea that uh, that was how he was going to get revenge on him. <laughs> that was like his his uh, his big. Uh, hit back, you know, was to steal his eyebrows. So. Yeah, and of course, later on, he he wears his eyebrow. He wears the Sitwell yeah. eyebrows over his own eyebrows <laughs> because um, they make him feel dressy, <laughs> <laughs> which is a great line. Um, and then, of course, Job lists the things that he liked having when he was president, like an office, a title, a paycheck, and a company car. Uh, and this is where we find out that. Um, you know, Job had company cars, um, and he he says that the Camaro was okay. To which Michael says, "I thought you won that on car sharks." And we get a little bit of a dramatic music as Job kind of leans in and says, "Michael, I was never on car sharks." <laughs> which I'm guessing that reference now. I mean, it means nothing to me because obviously I'm not American. But I'm guessing even to Americans, it's kind of like a. I don't know, kind of like an odd reference to make. Well, no, it was a it was a syndicated um, game show from I want to say like the mid '90s or late '90s, and it was it was pretty hack and and kind of kind of sad. And, and I think that if you were a kid in the '90s, a lot of times when when you were in summer vacation, you would you would watch a bunch of TV. Um, and and game shows would would constantly be on. I don't, I don't know. That was the experience I seemed to see over and over with my friends. So you know, it, it was actually kind of a funny reference, but it was just one of those things like, well, car chart. Hadn't thought about that in a while. I mean, it, it, it's in the vein of like, uh, I, I'll put it this way: Pressure Luck is an infinitely more popular show than than Car Sharks ever was. So. <laughs> well, funnily enough, over here that particular show was called Play Your Cards Right. Um, or it was also called Bruce Forsyth's Play Your Cards Right uh, when Bruce Forsyth was presenting it. Um, and it was a huge hit um, over here uh, under that name. Like a gigantic, like primetime hit uh, that ran for years and years and years. Um, yeah. And Bruce Forsyth himself is, uh, most recently he was a presenter of Strictly Come Dancing, which is best better known in America as Dancing with the Stars. Um, oh, wow. So, you know, there's some kind of, like, um, back and forth there. Um, he also presented um, a, a quite... This is Bruce Forsyth, presented quite a few sh shows, uh, including the version of the Generation game that was on over here. 
Um, and he had a show called The Price is Right, which I believe is also on in America. The Price is um, Right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so, there's, a, so there's, there's quite a few game show connections for that. But I just think it's a weird kind of reference that they just throw out there. Especially as that's kind of like the excuse that Michael would believe is that Job was on this kind of like daytime talk show kind of like game show thing. It just seems so kind of odd. And then obviously Michael confronts George Senior, uh, and we get a great line about how um, in prison we had knife fights and we had movie night, and once both those men did not enjoy <laughs> soap dish. I think you really have to know that world. Soap dish now kind of had, it showed its age. Uh, because of the the whole, um, I guess like the whole the the gender, the 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 view on gender identity has changed quite a bit since the '90s, um, and so, I mean that aside, I still enjoy that movie. <laughs> you know, I really do love that movie. <laughs> I, I still can't figure out why they would uh, why would why would that would be the one to start a riot in prison. You know, so. <laughs> well, later on, when we see a flashback to the various different nights in prison, uh, and this is a joke, I think, in season three, we actually see everyone enjoying Soap Dish. So um, I, I don't know. I don't know what George see. Maybe it was a different night where they showed Soap Dish. Maybe that's the only film they have. <laughs> so, uh, but this this is where we get a great thing where Michael's talking about the stair car and he says, you know, it smells like gas. I get hop ons and George senior interrupts by saying, well, of course you're going to get hop ons. Um, <laughs> and that is kind of when we get to season three and they have the cabin, they kind of do a variation on that joke, which is kind of almost worth two years of the hop ons joke just to get to it. Um, yeah. But, and I just kind of, I love how, you know, George senior, uh, you know, kind of says that he gave, he gave Michael more than a company car he gave him the company. Um, and, you know, Michael kind of doesn't appreciate that because he, he really doesn't want the stair car anymore. He wants an actual car. Right. Uh, and I love how he says, I've got to get an early start because I'm expecting headwinds on the stair car. <laughs> Which I just I just love. It's kind of like a, a weird... I love how much kind of business there is around the stair car and how they kind of... You know, the fact that everyone knows about the hop-ons... You know, everyone knows about how like slow it goes and all that kind of. It just seems like everyone really knows a lot about driving this stair car this far into the show. Well, no, I mean, like when you when you can. You ever tried to ride your bike into headwinds? I mean, there's got to be something like that. You get your mileage would probably drop down to a few, uh, a few few miles per gallon here in the states. You know, you'd go down to like eight miles a gallon trying to drive something like that into an, a strong headwind. So I could see why they might think of it. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And of course, George Senior wants a book, and he says, "Pop Pop gets a Grisham." Uh, and I, I love, <laughs> I, I love these kind of like Pop Pop. It started off with him saying, "Pop Pop gets a treat." Um, so I, I just kind of love how it, it's just become a thing that he he likes to say. Um, and then obviously, uh, we get to see Job, um, who hates his mother, um, <laughs> and Starla loves her mother. Um, and and this is where we get a call back to the ongoing joke with Starla where um, she's one of the two most important people in Starla's life um, the other one being Quincy and this is the first time where the narrator says a spokesman for Mr. Jones denies they've ever met although he could not explain the six signed gold records in Starla's apartment <laughs> uh, which I kind of I love uh, and obviously Job is back at the Bluth company to convince michael to hire him back um and i love that he says i'm going to prove that i'm worthy of rehiring even if it takes every ounce of determination that i've got and then he basically goes to leave absolutely he leaves right then and there after he says that what you wanted me to stay you know it's like, you know it's just yeah no it's a joke he's awesome i mean just you can uh he's he's good at those those really empowering speeches you know he's very good at at the the conviction in what he says he's terrible at the follow through <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah um and then of course this is where barry arrives to tell everyone that the stock is unfrozen and also that his lawsuit against the la kings is moving forward and in a classic arrested development crosstalk Michael asks, how did that happen? And Barry answers the question for the wrong part of that question, where he says, <laughs> maybe I stood above the plexiglass and a puck hit me. It could happen. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and of course, this, this will 
this will kind of throughout the episode they'll kind of add jokes to this this weird little runner that they've got but i just love everything that henry winkler does with this joke well it's funny that's a a huge departure from you know the fonz of course but henry henry winkler is just amazing as this this kind of bumbling guy and you just didn't see that coming uh and then on top of that you know he carries a character similar into parts and rec or, or uh and it's just interesting to see he had a lot more comedy chops than what I think he had. We uh, was given in, in Happy Days and stuff. It's pretty cool. I like the, I like it any time that he makes an appearance on the show. I don't particularly think of Happy Days that much as being like an an all out comedy. Like I think no? it was kind of like yeah. I mean I know it was half hour and I know it was a sitcom with a laugh track, but I, I always thought it was kind of like a little corny. And I don't really ever think of the Fonz as being like a hilarious character. Um, you know, he, he had kind of like things that he did, you know, like going to comb his hair and deciding not to like hitting the jukebox. Like he had things like that, but I, I don't ever really think of that character as being particularly funny. Um, I mean, maybe that's just supposed to be like a cool cat, you know, like the cool cat. No, I just thought that he had the, the slickness that was maybe I'm just, maybe, maybe I'm just too driven by laugh tracks. I don't know. I was just kind of. (laughs) assume that he was uh, uh you know just kind of like a a guy that would punch a joke really good and then they would move on to something else so but no i mean I, it was interesting to see that he was not so cool he was actually he he played very um candidly dumb like you know like pretty pretty easily and and and, and believable and funny you know I, I really like it like i said i enjoy anytime he comes on the show so well here of course i love how lazy he is um, and we actually get a line that I think is like a like an ADR line because it's like on the back of Michael's head where Barry is like, uh, yeah, what you said was perfect. Why, don't you, why do you want me to write it? And Michael's like, uh, just send it out in your stationery and do it quickly. I have a car to buy. And I love how <laughs> Michael kind of doesn't want anyone else in the family to kind of do what he's doing, which I think is uh, kind of funny. Uh, that he basically acts kind of very blues like in this particular episode. It's tied to like uh, that he didn't get a car in the future or in the past, you know, and so now he's yeah. trying to get his yeah. while he can, you know. <laughs> so is he the queen for the day? <laughs> I'm sorry, you go. Oh, I was just saying. So does that make him the queen for the day? Since he's the one that tries, you know, he's the one pushing to get the car. Lucille is, you know, typically the head queen of the family. Now it's kind of Michael's turn to try to, you know, bluth himself you know, in so many words and, and get what he wants this time, since he's always kind of the one that gets screwed over or pushed over. That's just how I kind of saw it. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I guess it could apply to Michael in this particular case. I mean, I guess that title applies to a number of different people um, as the episode goes on. Um, Mm -hmm. And I love that uh, George Sr. has decided to take it upon himself to, um, (laughs) to become a script reader. While he's in the attic, um, you know, maybe again, maybe his laziness kind of works with George Senior just being bored, basically. Um, and I, I love that the the title of the first script is Armageddon to Armageddon. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I love that. I love that because uh, I almost like wanted to see what the what that actual script was. The title was so good. It's kind of like on. Uh, uh, Calvin and Hobbes with the hamster Huey and the gooey kablooey. Like, you just want to read that book, you know? It's just that <laughs> it's just that thing. And Armageddon 2 Armageddon is just a script that would make me want to read everything and find out what, what it was like. Yeah. And we get to the car salesman. And like you say, he is the least car salesman ever. Uh, and I like that when he's describing the first car and he's like, we've got 400 of these. And Michael says, I don't want anything too popular. He's like, oh, they're not popular. We have 400 of them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which I kind of I kind of like, and obviously each like each car we get to, um, you know, first first of all, obviously you know Michael doesn't want the one that basically no one wants to buy, um, and then obviously he gets to the one that might be too drab before he you know gets to the the one that you know gets good mileage, um, and then of course uh, we see a very quick flash of him taking down the banner. And Michael's saying, no, sorry, I got, I got a hop on. I got distracted. Um, and I, love, <laughs> I love how he, he kind of puts an end to um, that scene by going, I hate these. <laughs> and then they cut to the uh, the sunglasses that Michael is admiring. And he asks, 
uh, do these come with any car? And of course, this is where um, he ends up uh, getting the uh, the Corvette. And of course, uh, Michael basically he's only getting it for like the windbreaker and sunglasses, from what I can tell. <laughs> he seems to right. really like those. I mean, he could have bought them without having to buy a car, um, you know. And then obviously the narrator lets us know Michael had just indulged himself with an expensive sports car. Well, see, because I think that was the the card sharks throw about, you know, because he's talking about how Job got a Corvette, you know, and and so I think he was wanting to go for a sports car in that same way, and this is his way of of finally getting that, you know. And yeah. uh, it came with a yeah. it came with a nice little pair of sunglasses and a and a jacket. So. <laughs> And of course, this is we get to Tobias and Buster out on the town. Uh, they end up at the uh, the Queen Mary, um, and Tobias announces that the place is exactly what he'd hoped for. All ladies, um, and obviously uh, <laughs> that is not correct. That is not in the slightest. I I uh, I have a hard time believing. I, I don't know what what is the scope of uh, Tobias's character. You know, with him being so obtuse about you know the. You know, women that are, um, you, you know, I guess, like... He's so oblivious. I mean, I, th- I think that's that's the the whole meaning behind Tobias's character, is that he's he's the type of guy that mistakens a pirate ship full of guys dressed up as pirates, right? Like, from the pilot episode. You know, he's, he's the kind of guy who thinks, and then all of a sudden becomes a part of a, of a protest. You know, he, he's walking into a bar thinking he's seeing a bunch of beautiful ladies who, you know, are beautiful ladies who happen to also be men dressed up as ladies. And, they're, you know, it's, he's just one of these guys who, you know, happened to talk to the club owner who, you know, <laughs> he didn't realize wasn't a woman, but, you know, he was selling. So he ended up buying the club, you know, <laughs> it's just kind of his on his own ongoing, I think, joke and character together. But I, I absolutely... Um, love David Cross, so he just he does it oh so well. Well, I th- I think it's interesting because obviously um, I don't know if the Queen Mary is supposed to be a gay bar or if it's supposed to be a drag club because it seems that this on this particular night to be drag night basically, um, and mm-hmm. obviously the presence of Lucille too um, is a nod to the fact that Liza Minnelli and her mother both have quite a strong gay following as well. Um, so I just kind of, I, 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 I guess it's kind of, it's kind of almost like if you, if you went to a club and you saw uh, a large group of ladies and you saw Liza Minnelli there, you might think to yourself, maybe I'm in a gay bar and it's drag night. (laughs) (laughs) I talk about being obtuse while we were watching this episode I I nudged my wife and I was like, what is she doing there? (laughs) It didn't click immediately for me. So I said, oh, 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 okay. Yeah. Um, and here we find out that Lucille Estero has just returned away uh, from a, from a month long stay at a facility that treats vertigo, um, and a, I love how she arrives, you know, completely cured, and somebody kind of is stumbling into the clinic, and she kind of tries to steady them, and they both kind of fall over. Um, and I, I just kind of love the physical comedy. I was impressed by how physical well comedy. she did the somersault backwards. <laughs> You know, as an older woman, and she committed to doing that. That was yeah. pretty impressive. Very nimble. Yeah, for, for somebody who's like in their late sixties, seventies, maybe, and and uh, I, I'm like nearing forty, and that, that would have been a challenge for me. So <laughs> yeah, I think I think Liza Minnelli. One of the great things that she does in this show, particularly when it comes to all the Vertigo stuff, is she really throws herself into the physical comedy, like throwing herself onto furniture and kind of against stuff and kind of slipping around and she does it really well uh, and I think that's kind of what sells the whole vertigo thing is like something kind of more serious um, mm-hmm. is the fact that she kind of she does it really like even though it's very kind of comic she always plays that particular affliction quite seriously um, in the way that it affects her so I, I think it's kind of her commitment to that that really helps but I, I love this conversation and she she always says, "I'm okay. I'm okay. We're okay." <laughs> yeah. As she's falling over. <laughs> and I love this conversation here, where um, Lucille tries to ask Buster a question, but can't quite phrase it correctly. And so, of course, she starts out by saying, "Is there a girl in your life?" And Buster says, "Well, I'd hardly call my mother a girl, but yes, yeah, she's very much still part of my life." And then, of <laughs> course, she tries to rephrase it, and she says, "I mean, uh, someone who makes you hear music." And he's like, oh. <laughs> she mostly likes talk radio. And he's like, 
I mean, a girl who makes you feel romantic and also who makes you hear beautiful music <laughs> and i i just love how it takes buster so long to kind of get the point of what she's saying um and of course this is where tobias interrupts but what i find is funny is that lucille too says i guess what i'm trying to say is and then tobias goes start spreading the news and it's kind of works as if that's what she was trying to say but uh I know, it's just a really funny joke. And of course we get a, a, a very big meta reference here as uh, as Lucille 2 says everyone thinks they're Frank Sinatra um, when obviously Liza Minnelli in the film New York, New York uh, directed by Martin Scorsese in 1977 she was the one who originally sang New York, New York um, and so Frank Sinatra essentially was copying uh, Liza Minnelli so I think it's kind of like a nice, a nice couple of layers there um, for this particular joke. Um, and then you know Lucille asks if she can start anew with Buster Um, you know which (laughs) the next day uh, causes Lucille to kind of freak out a little bit as she calls Michael Um, (laughs) she keeps doing that she keeps calling Michael to talk about Buster's relationship with Lucille too Um, and she she blames it on on Michael who, who insisted he get away from mother which I always find it's odd when uh, Lucille one refers to herself kind of in the third person as mother. Oh, and, and I love that this... they refer to Lucille two as Lucille two. You know, like they're yeah, yeah. Oh. she is she is <laughs> Lucille as well. Yes. Um, <laughs> and and of course, um, Buster is out on the balcony uh, because he, he saw a graham cracker out there. Uh, <laughs> now I would actually call that a graham cracker because I don't pronounce that word gram. I don't know why Americans do that. It's always confused me. Um, that that word is Graham. Um, anyway, and of course, this is this is where Michael says you baited the balcony, and Lucille says, "Prove it, prove, prove it." it. <laughs> which which on the the cut scene, there's there's the the later scene I think where they mention the the that she didn't actually even put a real graham cracker out there; that it was just cardboard. Yeah, and he's like, "You didn't even yeah. use a graham cracker," and she's like, "Prove it, uh, prove it." You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I, just, I, I, it is, it is quite funny. Yeah, that, that um, Buster is so easily fooled into going out onto the uh, onto the balcony, uh, and of course, <laughs> you know, Buster only wants to meet someone who has his interests, um, and he doesn't know how to do that. And this is where Starla arrives with the papers for Michael, um, and. She says, as she enters um, Buster's bedroom, I think is where the scene is, isn't it? And um, she says, by the way, I love your mother. And Buster, of course, says, oh, I do too. <laughs> and, I kind of... and the thing is, as well, is I like how this is actually being kind of gradually set up because Starla actually talked about her mother uh, in the first couple of episodes that she was in. So they've been very careful in kind of gradually setting this this up. Um, and of course, uh, you know, Buster and and, um, and Starla get together um, and they will be together, you know, for a few episodes until it kind of takes a really weird turn <laughs> where Buster has to kind of escape from her. And I don't know how that happened, but I guess given that Starla likes to stalk Quincy Jones, um, <laughs> I guess she kind of has a bit of a crazy um, streak in her. Um, and this is where you find out that <laughs> Lucille has um, <laughs> has had some some kind of um, a construction crew in who were meant to be doing some work on Lucille Ostero's penthouse, and instead she basically expanded the bathroom, <laughs> um, forcing uh, Lucille Two's kitchen to be a lot smaller, um, which of course Lucille Two <laughs> thinks is because she's now steady. Um, yeah. She actually says we actually, she thought it was like the vertigo that was giving the the impression that it was a larger kitchen. She's like, so. "Wow, that vertigo really throws you off." Like it's just yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, and of course we find out that uh, Lucille um, paid for this with the unfrozen stock, and of course you know Michael says that the letter said not to sell or we're going to lose control, and Lucille says, "I stopped it unfrozen." <laughs> which, yeah. uh, which, which of course we then find out in the next scene um, you know after uh, you know Michael gets back home 
um, that everybody basically stopped reading <laughs> after the word <laughs> unfrozen. Yes. <laughs> um, and at this particular point, you know, um, Tobias has purchased the uh, the Queen Mary. Uh, as you say, um, the cl- he was dancing with the club's owner and um, he really, really did look like a woman, is how Tobias phrases it. <laughs> you know, everybody looks, got quiet and stared, almost like, seriously, can you not see this? Come on. And and, and then he he kind of buttons it up and then they can carry on the, the facade a little bit longer. Yeah, and I, I love that he says the only reason it's going under is because it's in a terrifying neighborhood. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Which, of course, you know, it, it's really weird that, you know, that would be the thing that kind of he thinks he can turn around, I guess, like by buying it. I, I don't understand his logic and why he thinks that by buying it, he can kind of make it better. He's the eternal better. optimist. He's like, you know, he just believes he's got that big hearted dream. And so he walks <laughs> in and it's going to be like a like a musical, like where, you know, you buy the, the thing and then you can turn it around and then it'll be this amazing success you know it's just that's he just has that kind of like like he's a a character in a play that's about to end with a happy <laughs> ending that's just how he he lives his life it, it's really awesome i i think that that's that's uh his his greatest character trait and flaw at the same and time i love how Lindsay piggybacks off of the terrifying neighborhood of talking about the uh, country club that she wanted to get into saying that oh but it's it's in a great neighborhood yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um and of course there's a, a level of irony where you know Michael says that the careless selfish uh, your careless selfish spending sprees may have cost us a blue company and this is where George Michael walks in saying I can't believe you got a Corvette. <laughs> <laughs> and then we we find out from Barry that they're 2000 shares short of major of being major stockholders. But of course this seems this seems like Barry is actually competent. Um, but of course, he's, he, you know, he says that's what they said on Ask Jeeves. On Ask Jeeves, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which, of course, is a reference that is very 2004. Yes. Um, because you, I guess you could kind of ask Jeeves these days. I'm sure there's some part of the internet where that, that, that trademark is being used. Um, but now I think it's just simply Ask, isn't it? You know, one time in the in the the I want to say it's a mid 2000s. There was an episode of the Today Show where they actually had a guy pretending to be Jeeves who was hooked up to a, uh, a mic and an earpiece and people would ask him questions and they would essentially Google it and then he would give it out like the response live on the street. I'll have to, I'll have to see if I can find that video. It's pretty funny. <laughs> there was an actual Jeeves walking around asking questions. It was pretty neat. Yeah. Um, and we find out that the company that is buying the, the shares is called Stand Poor. Uh, which, of course, is at first, um, Michael thinks it's a clever opposite of sit well, um, which I think is a great joke because sit well was established as a name in the pilot. So the fact that they're using it as like a joke here with the word stand poor. Um, and then uh, this is where Job's, you know, <laughs> I love that Michael frames it as uh, which is run by a certain hairless man who could be very upset with you right now. <laughs> And of course, this is where Job is wearing the eyebrows <laughs> and kind of demonstrating why he might be angry with him all in one go. Uh, and of course, Lucille figures that it might be Lucille too because um, she she can't stand up without falling over. Um, which, of course, who it is, to, it does turn out to be uh, the a company that is owned by Lucille too. Um, but I do like that kind of Lucille too. It, it kind of fits her, the, the, like the whole stand poor thing. It just kind of fits as um, something. And, and I like the fact that she's kind of willing to admit that she can't stand well and have that as the name of her company. Because <laughs> of the vertigo. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and we don't get much Oscar or George in this episode, really, apart from, you know, George Senior giving his notes in the attic. And we get a little bit of Oscar here where um, he's, he says, we're going to need a new floating thermometer. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't want to think about what happened to that floating thermometer. <laughs> uh, well, it's I don't know. There's a couple of things about Oscar that make me kind of go like, huh? Hmm, okay. <laughs> yeah, you know, this is where Michael kind of to get the company control back. He he basically wants to give Buster to uh, Lucille too, um, and then obviously, uh, you, you know. 
Michael, <laughs> he goes to call Starla, who is, you know, now the, the secretary for the company. Um, and he, instead he gets Buster because he wants to know where Buster is. And Buster answers saying, yeah, she's on cloud nine. And I love Tony Hell's kind of really <laughs> upbeat reading of that line. Uh, and obviously, you know, Buster lets us know that she's, Starla is saying goodbye to someone named Q if she can get past the security system. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, and it, it was really cool to see them happy, but the explanation for their happiness is the best is because it was a woman that was, like, closer to his age, so essentially there would have been any many, many candidates out there that would have made him happy in this way. Yeah. She just happened to be the only one that was there, you know. Um, and and uh, he was a lot more attentive to her, unlike the dreaded Quincy Jones, you know, <laughs> who, had, who had done put it at great lengths, you know, to to make sure she couldn't get near him. Yes. So it's a uh, it was a match made in heaven, so to speak. Well, and I, I do kind of I I love how you know Michael kind of uses himself as an example, but kind of unintentionally, where he talks about you know I'm wondering if you didn't upgrade a little too fast. You wanted something sensible, you end up getting pushed into something flashy. But I, I love how I love how Buster is kind of like, what does that mean? And then obviously, uh, Michael's very kind of I mean, it's such an odd phrasing, but I think he says, "Don't you think you belong in a Lucille? That they are a model of car." <laughs> <laughs> you you bought you you traded up too much, and you need to go back down to the the comfortable car you had before. You know, and and it, again, it's just. Uh, it's an odd thing for Michael. I don't. Does he normally refer to or make people out of things or things in, or into people or is no? It doesn't seem like much like him. Not really. I guess it's. I Fire guess it's remorse. because he's trying to kind of he's he's acting on behalf of Lucille One, isn't he? So I I think that's what's happening here. He probably had buyer's remorse. You know, that's his little way of talking him, talking Buster into the moderate cell. Rather than upgrading too fast to a flashy Corvette, kind of. So, like, I don't recall offhand, but does he keep the Corvette? I don't think he does, right? He keeps it for the next episode, and then he sells it to Stan Sitwell so he can bid on Sally Sitwell, who was introduced in the next episode. All right, that's why I don't recall. So he does keep it. He does keep it for one episode, and it, it, but it ends up with Stan Sitwell, but. Um, Sally kind of objects to this because obviously, you know, he's going to be losing his hair and his eyebrows every time he's out driving. So <laughs> I, I don't know what happens to it. I don't know what happens to it after that. But yeah, the Corvette goes on a little journey. Um, and we, 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 we kind of we find out that maybe has read some notes, believing them to be from George Michael. Um, and obviously uh, she says that, you know, <laughs> she goes, they said so many things I wanted to say, but didn't know how. <laughs> And obviously George Michael is super confused, uh, and and after maybe leaves, he just says, "I guess she didn't see the drawings." Uh, <laughs> and I am assuming that he had some some other drawings that were probably with depicted by stick figures, because if you look at the one picture that he had on there at the beginning, it's not a very well drawn uh, image. So anything that might have been a more no. graphic had to be stick figures, and it had to be really odd, you know, just to sit there and. <laughs> see this around love letters so um and, and she's relieved yeah. that she didn't find those stick figures that she in fact didn't read at all um but it, it was pop pop who ends up doing all the work for her uh and no i was just agreeing i was saying yeah it, it is george senior who did all the work and obviously he gets not the credit <laughs> um it goes to did you wonder to... to see if he actually did a good job or was this something that you think he would have been suited for or if he did this and it was just a disaster because of the way... I mean, they don't really kind of go into detail in future episodes about it, but I just think the way that George Sr. is, you know, he's run a business for a number of years. I think he kind of has a commanding um, kind of idea of what he wants. And so I think if he's reading scripts and giving notes, I think he would know exactly what was wrong with stuff. And he'd kind of... That just seems to kind of suit his personality, I think. But we then get to the return of the hot cops who are now posing <laughs> as the Roughnecks. Um, Tobias, Tobias, uh, Tobias wanted to make his ownership of the Queen Mary clear. And I love that uh, the sign writer is someone who doesn't know the difference between a possessive and a um, like shortening. So 
instead of saying Tobias is Queen Mary, as in it belongs to Tobias, it says Tobias is Queen Mary. Um, and he wants to paint over the the Mary part, so he just says Tobias is Queen. And if you notice um, on the club, there are a lot of pictures of the band Queen, um, which which would make sense given given that um, Freddie Mercury was gay and was a bit of a gay icon. So I guess that would make sense that it was a popular thing in the club. Um, but I love how the hot cops kind of... Um, uh, now, I think that the, the, the kind of Tobias's attempt to persuade them is a very kind of weak, where he says... So maybe you could uh, start jetting and stop ja-terrorizing me. <laughs> and it just takes some clever, clever wordplay before the hot cops are like, yes, and I love how one of them says, oh, this is joyous news. <laughs> um, kind of give in so quickly. And, you know... Buster, um, we find out, and it's this is a kind of like a sweet scene between Buster and Michael. It's very rare that they kind of they talk about things other than Buster dating elderly women um, or being under the control of an elderly woman. Um, but I like here that Buster is the one who actually read the letter and he didn't sell the stock. And you know, Michael kind of realizes that it would be best if he got together with Starla. Um, rather than go back to Lucille too. I like that Buster had, you know, the heart because even the way that he delivers that line is that he would never do anything to hurt the family. And it's very heartfelt and it's very genuine, you know, and, and I think that that's where, uh, you know, it kind of touches Michael in a sense like, all right, I, I went out and bought this car just like everybody else. I'm sitting here lamenting the family's woes here and it, and I'm no better than anyone. And we have this one person that we're trying to manipulate and he's just such a, in this moment, such a beautiful person that it just, it, it makes him reverse course. It makes him just go, go after Starla. It's okay. I'll take care of Lucille too. And I, I, I like that moment. It was, it was a, it was a sense of uh, it, like, like touchingness, you know, that was there that not, I mean, you don't really see a lot of that in the rest of development. So I kind of, it was a cool break, you know? <laughs> um, and then of course uh, we find, I mean, I love as well how Buster, when, when he says, let, let um, Lucille two down easy, that right knee could go at any time. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I love how the narrator refers to at the, at Tobias is Queen Mary. <laughs> so he actually calls the group, the, the club, the name that is written on the sign incorrectly. Um, uh, and, you know, Tobias is impressed at how, I like how he says, uh, you've really made some amazing strides in half an hour. Yeah. <laughs> He's kind of like, <laughs> not realizing. In, in an earlier episode, though, when, when they're talking and, and they, ask, uh, they ask George Michael Jr. Uh, if he had known that they were they were the hot cops and, or that something was up. And he's like, yeah, one of the hot cops was my choir teacher. And so, you know, <laughs> they're... <laughs> They obviously have that big background for theater and stage, and I don't know why he can't see that. Uh, I mean, other than the comedy point. But... And, you know, Michael, he he tries to persuade Lucille to, to give back the, um, you know, the, 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 the shares. Um, and, you know, she basically says, um, <laughs> well, first of all, the ride in the Corvette undoes all of uh, Dr. Sander Plum's work, basically. <laughs> Um, and you know, Lucille too basically says that, um, she likes the blues and that's why she buys up the company stock to support it and that she'll, you know, happily give him the, the stock back. Um, and, but in between that, on one condition, uh, well, I mean, I'll get to the conditions in a second, but in between that, of course, Tobias decides <laughs> to take, um, his, his gang out onto the street, um, <laughs> Oh, and yes. and of course he 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 does a little rap where he says uh, that he doesn't want to bust a cap in because here's what's happening we're breaking out some old fashioned tapping and then of course the the hot cops start dancing and then one of them gets shot and I love Tobias's we've miscalculated retreat <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah which so you know. Obviously, the hot cops made a lot of progress in half an hour, but uh, Tobias made a poor choice to take them out onto the streets. Um, and then um, Lucille too; she has, um, uh, you know, the the, the condition that uh, Michael doesn't drive her home and <laughs> calls her a cab. Yeah, no, and and, and so 
Actually, where does it go from there? I, 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 we just watched this one, and I'm at a blank for that. <laughs> well, then the next day, of course, Michael thinks oh. he's going to get control of the company back until Job walks in. And uh, we see that Job went over to Lucille 2's, and <laughs> he, he basically gives away the game that uh, Lucille 2 has, has taken... Uh, has lost space to um, to Lucille, and this is where Job, uh, the narrator actually says, So Job Lucille too. And it's unusual that the narrator gets bleeped, <laughs> uh, but he does there, and um, and then Job says she's not going to give the shares back, uh, and she's going to make me the new president, and I need the keys to the company car. <laughs> um, and, I, and that's where the episode ends. I love the way that Job approaches Lucille Two's door, just like Buster did, and he goes, "Let's go for it, right?" Because that's the exact same way Buster <laughs> went up to her finally, and he was like, "Okay, let's do it. Let's go for it." Yeah, and we get well. We get to the on the next, and of course, Lucille Two reclaims back the space mm-hmm. um, where we see that the bathroom in in the uh, in the in Lucille's apartment is a lot smaller, um, and the Queen Mary changes hands. Barry, of course. Um, as his king's settlement went on, he went through various different things of wearing a neck brace. At one point, he wears a uh, eye patch, and he tells Michael, "I just winked at you <laughs> with the eye under the eye patch." Uh, so he, obviously, his his suit, his settlement against the kings is successful, and he buys the uh, the Queen Mary, and um, and he asks, "It still has the dungeon area, right?" Uh, and then, as you say, yes, Job Job turns up at uh, at Lucille Two's door, and he says. Let's go for it. But the narrator says that Job gets needy. Uh, and this is something that will be a theme for the next few episodes where with Job's relationship and uh, and Lucille too. Oh, which, of course, we will see the highlight of it being where uh, uh, Job decides that he's going to read out some menu items and uh, to, to Lucille too. Uh, most of which have club sauce in. Um, and that is the episode. Uh, there was a small cutscene, which we didn't really touch upon, which is where... Um, Kind of the only real appearance of Anne in the episode, which was was cut out, um, uh-huh. where Anne shows up um, ready to give uh, George Michael a lift to school, and you know uh, Michael says that the Corvette is getting delivered, and so Anne tells her parents to leave, and then of course he, he finishes by saying in six hours time, <laughs> so they they now have no way of getting to school. I should have told you that before you told your parents to go. <laughs> yeah, you know, and it's like an after the fact or an afterthought. You know, he just he just totally hits the joke there. It's awesome. I don't know why I would have kept that one in. Honestly, I, I like I like I think, that, and plus it keeps in. I think the thing is, it works for having it cut out. Makes the joke where um, Michael is kind of going on about everyone else's selfishness, and then George Michael walking and saying, "You got a Corvette," because he seems surprised at that point. Whereas if he'd have been told in the morning that they gained the Corvette, I don't think that that would have really worked as a joke. Um, so yeah. I guess they kind of cut that in favour of keeping the joke where um, he he um, <laughs> where he's kind of surprised that the Corvette's been delivered rather than having him know. Um, and then I don't think Michael's point would have really been as funny. Um, so I, I guess that's why they cut it. Um, but yeah, it's a shame that we lose um, we lose Anne. Because uh, it's always fun to see Mayweather. And plus, at the end of uh, that scene so. that was cut, um, he is like, okay, who's ready for a ride in the stair car? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, of course, there, there is a reference where uh, Michael says, um, you, you, like in, in, like when George Michael says he's getting a lift with the veals, where he says, you don't want to be penned in with the veals, uh, which I think is the only, t- it's the only time that they really call out the fact that she's called Anne Veal. Um, and kind of, and the kind of the nature of of um, of what that would mean. So, uh, I I think it's interesting that they only go for that joke once. Just like they only go for the George Michael being the same name as the singer joke, like once in the entire show as well. Yeah. Um, so, is there anything else that you think we need to cover in this episode? No, no, I think that that was uh, that was pretty interesting. Yeah, I think that was, <laughs> that was great. Awesome. Great stuff. Well, then. Um, I will say that on the next episode of uh, I've Made a Huge Mistake, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, episode nine, uh, which I believe is Burning Love, um, where indeed we see what happens to the Corvette. 
Um, as and we also get to meet Sally Sitwell. Uh, my guests for that will be Eric Harzer and Jeremy Frank. So I'm hoping you can uh, join me for that. Uh, otherwise, I think we will go to plugs. Uh, so Noel, I know that you definitely have a podcast to plug. I do. Uh, it is the Mexi Bro Movie Show at uh, the Mexi Bro Movie Show dot com, and uh, you can find it on iTunes or uh, anywhere really where you can download podcasts. It's kind of a, a variation on a variety show uh, with a, a slight Hispanic tone to it, but it's about growing up in West Texas and what it's like and what kind of things are here. There, it's uh, We get a musical guest who comes in and performs, and we talk to somebody from West Texas who's been in the entertainment industry uh, that typically is from West Texas. Occasionally we'll get somebody from, from another area, but uh, people that have been in the music industry have worked with uh, you know Grammy Award winning artists or the somebody who has won Emmys uh, in, in TV or something like that that's been from our area. And then uh, we have a section with uh, Hot Mexican Minute with Uncle Rob, and he actually Actually, we'll sit down with a movie. Recently, my my wife has started joining in on that part where they watch a, a movie and then they kind of discuss it and give the the, the Uncle Rob perspective. I think Gio is more in keeping him in line. <laughs> but uh, and then we do the Mita look at at the very end where we talk about what we're looking forward to and that kind of thing. So it's a it's a fun little podcast. We encourage everybody to take a listen if you uh, got a spare hour hour and a half. So. Uh, um, and Gio, you just, uh, she's just been a, a wonderful addition to the whole thing. So great stuff. And what is the frequency on that? How often does that come out? We typically will put an episode out once a month, um, because we have so many different people to coordinate with and, uh, and getting them together. But, uh, we just had our one year <laughs> episode, uh, this past month. So if you, uh, get a chance, take a listen. Uh, well, thanks to both of you for joining me here. Thank you for having us. It was awesome. Thank you, Darren. And, uh, otherwise, uh, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> goodbye, Darren. Bye.